Hi there, and welcome to the very first episode of Hit Me in the Heart. If you're anything like me, every now and again you'll come across an episode of television, or a film, or a book, an album, or even a commercial that genuinely, emotionally affects you. Somehow, certain pieces of culture get around the emotional walls we build and, well, hit us in the heart. This podcast is dedicated to those pieces of culture, popular or classic, new or old, across genre and media and space and time. Part book club discussion, part review, Hit Me in the Heart is the story of these great works and undiscovered gems. But it's also about the people we were when we first encountered them. That's the setup, so who are we? I'm your bleeding heart millennial Scott. I'm your hearty flyboy Travis. I'm your kind-hearted oaf, Paul. And on the first episode of Hit Me in the Heart, I'll be taking you through the album that helped me find my emotional center across a decade and three continents. We're headed five years ago and 3,000 miles away with Elbow's 2008 album, The Seldom Seen Kid. boys it's a brand new creative endeavor how are you feeling about this enormous undertaking of cultural relevance fantastic i'm not the one talking about it today so uh, i'm feeling pretty good yeah, i think me and travis just get to kind of watch you go through the motions i, I can go through quite a few different motions um <laughs> but i've got one in particular i wanted to kind of find an angle to approach this particular piece of culture before because i know music is such a subjective thing i feel like even more so than than movies or TV or, or books. Yeah, it's, I, I get kind of frustrated sometimes when people get judged for what they listen to, even if it might be so like, I know people like to knock pop or anything that's really in the mainstream, but or, if you love it, then that's fantastic. Like, I, why, why, judge, why judge that? I don't get it. It can be Mozart, but not everyone is going to love Mozart. So the angle I've found to talk about this um, has to do with kind of who I am and who I was when I first kind of encountered the seldom seen kid. So we've all moved away before, right? Into new apartments, away from hometowns or off to school. Um, in my life, I've found myself very far from home. If you've ever had the pleasure of traveling throughout Europe as a young person, you might be familiar with hostels. Yes, no, maybe. We call them hostels, but okay, yes. <laughs> Cramped dorms, four people at least. That smell of damp feet, perfumed toiletries and shaving cream that seems to be literally every dorm room and I've mold. ever stayed at. Don't forget the mold. And the mold. I've lived out of those for a month. 
Uh, I found myself jet lagged in the middle of winter, waking up to a pitch black night at 5 p.m., huddling out in a coat against the damp London streets, bleary eyed and desperately searching for a cell phone retailer, trying to ascertain the reasonable value of a Google Nexus 5X in pounds while looking haggard in the very posh retailer Selfridges, gnawing on three pound Tesco meal deals, which are really only a sandwich and a juice bottle, on the steps of a shopping mall in a rundown complex at Elephant and Castle, being in the center of one of the busiest cities on the planet and knowing nobody at all, still receiving group text messages from across the Atlantic, knowing that life for everyone else goes on while you're gone, and that in time the stabbing pain of separation will become a dull ache, and eventually, in more time, a bruise that flares up when caught in the right light. These are the times and the places where I would sink into this album, The Seldom Seen Kid, a magical, lush, orchestral bundle of songs that together create a landscape of sound and emotion that is completely unlike anything else I've ever heard. I am not kidding when I say that this album feels like home. Not the four walls and a roof kind of home, but the kind of home I can return to with only a few minutes, my phone, and a pair of earbuds that I am constantly losing the rubber nipples off of. From its gentle, caressing ballads like Mirabal. Its philosophical declarations into the void with Tower Crane Driver. The unbridled joy of one day like this. Driven motivation of grounds for divorce. I've been working on a cocktail called grounds for divorce. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The perfect, beautiful simplicity of starlings. I sat you down and told you how the truest love that's ever found is for oneself. The complicated, twisting chords of the bones of you. I want to share my connection to this band and to this album by talking about its production and its lyrics and what it means to me. But uh, first, I thought I might start with a shotgun summary of exactly who this band is and how the album came about. Please. Sounds good. is a five-piece band from Bury in Greater Manchester, who at the time featured uh, Guy Garvey on vocals, Mark Potter on guitar, Craig Potter on keys, Pete Turner on the bass, and Richard Jupp on the drums. The reason I got the name Elbow was from a BBC miniseries called The Singing Detective where um, Michael Gambon played a fictional detective, Philip Marlowe. Have you ever heard of Philip Marlowe? That's kind no. of familiar-ish. No? No. That's right. Is Michael Gambon, is he Lord of the Rings or is he Harry Potter? He's Dumbledore himself. Oh. After the first one the dies. First so Lord okay. of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Almost. So in this, uh, in this miniseries, Michael Gambon plays Philip Marlowe, a fictional crime writer. And as a writer, he describes elbow as the loveliest word in the English language, not because of what it represents, but how it how it sounds to say in the mouth, elbow. elbow. I was going to say, do you know, there's a movie that says another word is the most prolific, not prolific, but beautiful to say in the English language. Which is? Cellar door. Cellar door. Cellar oh, yes. Door. Donnie Darko, right? Yes, that's it. Thank you. 
Perfect. I had it in my head. I know it was uh, can't remember. I can't remember anything anymore. But the girl from ET, Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore said it. Yeah, yeah. I was Salador. about to say Kirsten Dunst. Oh, I can't be mixing <laughs> up my redheads. I cannot be mixing up my redheads. So Elbow uh, had their debut back in 2001. Their first album was called Asleep in the Back, and it was nominated for the Mercury Prize. And now the Mercury Prize uh, in the UK is, I believe, somewhat like the Polaris Prize over here in Canada, where we currently live and record. It's a very prestigious award. It has made several musical acts uh it's a really great thing especially for a breakthrough artist to win the mercury prize seven years after they lost their with their debut album they released this seldom seen kid this one actually won the prize and in winning the prize it beat out wait for it adele's 19 radiohead's in rainbows and Robert Plant and Alison Krauss's Rising Sand, which won the Grammy on that year. So what you're saying is, it's good. They're kind of, <laughs> what I'm saying is, they're kind of a big deal. And when I lived in the UK, they were very much a, a uh, household name over there. But over here in North America especially, no one seems to really have heard of them. I, I didn't mean, know anything about them until you came a couple months and told me to start listening. For sure. And, and I actually found them through Paul. And I believe I, I'm going to do this properly. I It was my second boyfriend who's from uh, Wales who introduced me to Elbow. I'm pretty sure it was him. To Isn't Elbow. it strange, though, how music and, and with all the different ways we have to disseminate it now can still be localized? Like, yeah. It's a very big band. People know who this is. It's a, clearly a very talented band, yeah. and yet it doesn't cross the pond. Or- I don't get to say this nearly enough, Paul, but thank your second boyfriend for me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Chris. This album was released in 2008. It features 11 tracks. It was released via the labels Fiction, Polydor, and Geffen. It's classified as alternative rock or art rock on Wikipedia, which we all know is the ultimate source of truth and reality in this universe. <laughs> when this album came out, it was very much kind of the band breakthrough into the UK mainstream to the point where the album was actually played live on BBC Radio 2 on the 17th of January 2009 with the BBC Concert Orchestra and uh, a full London choir called uh, Chantage. You've probably heard them live if you watch the 2012 London Olympics. They performed at the closing ceremony. They performed the mega hit of this album, which is called One Day Like This, and that played kind of the athletes as they all marched into the center of the arena uh, for the closing ceremony. Uh, they also wrote the BBC's theme music for the 2012 Olympic Games. Little track called First Steps. The seldom seen kid, as mentioned on the title track and as referred to in some lyrics in the song, and I never knew this before I started researching, wanting to, to share the album on this podcast, but the seldom seen kid was actually Brian Glancy, uh, a friend of the band's that died uh, suddenly in 2006. And the term the seldom seen kid was apparently Guy Garvey's father's nickname for Brian. And, uh, the closing track, Friend of Ours, is actually dedicated and and written about him, which for an album I already knew and loved and found to be very emotional, kind of gave this whole recording a, a new depth <laughs> that I'd never seen before. Never very good at goodbyes So gentle shoulder charge Love you may I, I will say that uh, uh, I've been listening to it for a little while now. Uh, the first time I listened to it, I, I really liked it. It was obvious that this is music that would appeal to me, but it took a month of not listening and then going back to realize that for me, 
this is a difficult album to listen to because I know you might not feel like this, but to me, it feels like a lament. The whole album, except for that one, I guess you could call it poppy song that they sung at the end of the Olympics. It is a sad album. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about it. Okay. It's his voice. He feels like he, or it sounds like he is calling out in the darkness all the things that he's feeling. He has, a, he has a very emotional voice. Like it, it's almost, it's like you can feel the pain in his, in his voice sometimes. And it's incredible. But if you're walking down the street trying to listen to this, it's difficult. You have to listen to it. You have to listen to him cry in the darkness. A producer, when it comes to an album like this, is very much in charge of what instruments they use, how you record those instruments, what effects you put on them, how you arrange the songs, and how you mix those different sounds together to get the effect. So it's really interesting that that was the read that you got off that um because for me it's not so much it's not so much a lament or like a wail into the void he seems to me to be very much like the drunk guy at the end of the bar or something who's got like a really good voice and i'll get up and belt every now and again and for sure sometimes it's definitely sad but his vocals have such presence that it's uh it's is really kind of a hook that pulls you into i use the words like geography landscape right. the ocean of sound that is this entire album and he is definitely what draws you in it's and there's a lot there once he gets you in because what he's actually saying isn't you know it's not a typical pop song he's got a very poetic way of speaking it's very interesting it works with his voice it works with the sound of the music and even though it, I, I found it sad, there is a lot of versatility on the album. The songs do not sound all alike. There are albums that all sound like the same thing. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. For my mind, uh, the biggest example recently was uh, Paramore's new album had kind of a very poppy 80s sound. And I love some of the tracks off it, but I get sort of three or four tracks in and everything starts to sound like yeah. the same. I don't think you could accuse this album of nope. being like that at all. But it takes real artistry in the production to pull all of these different elements together and make it cohesive. There are elements, there's a rock band, there's like there's guitars, there's drums, there's bass going on all cylinders on a track like, say, Grounds for Divorce, which is, you know, pounding and throbbing and visceral. contrast that with the wonderful strings and brass and orchestration on the opening track, Starlings. That track goes for two minutes before Guy Garvey even starts to sing and begins with a lilting electronic drum and then slowly appearing strings and suddenly these massive loud stabs of audio that yeah. like grab you and shock you and it's it's dynamic range the number of instruments that it covers how it how it moves from one sound to the other and how it plays with loud and quiet is just something that you do not get on albums these days and you get it, it also from like you get it from like classical music classical music will, will play around with that they won't they won't normalize the audio to make everything one one sound like it, they have the quiet parts they have the loud parts and i think he uses a lot of orchestral in a lot of his music which 
I think influences that he doesn't try to make everything be one just wall of sound. And I have to say just about Starling specifically, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, when I see a pack of Starlings flying around, I can hear the violin lilt in my head yeah. as they move. I think he really captured their movement in sound. And I find it kind of extraordinary to see that. And Starlings prepares you for the album too, because you're right. It's not often that you got a quiet, slow build and then suddenly full-on horns blaring in your ear not blaring because it does oh no they blare the song but it, it's it's out of nowhere to let you know this is not going to be you know a typical you know pop album if you got into this because you saw them on the olympics this would be preparing you for the album There are lyrics to talk about, you know, and I'm spinning and I'm diving like a cloud of starlings. Uh, Darling is this love. And then you get the stabs and it's like the sort of sound that would frighten a flock of starlings into flight. It's a great metaphor for the way that love can like sneak up to you and like rattle your cage and, and grab you when you're least expecting it. As you go into the songs a little bit more. You know, they they might be talking about things that are a little bit trite, like love or like in Mirrorball, a couple songs later. That is a celebration of love in an uncheesy way. Other kind of just moments on the album that I wanted to highlight, just to show off some of the dynamic range. Uh, one of them is The Bones of You, which is... It, it kicks off in this really kind of rhythmic presentation of the drums. And this is played over the top of two of the most interesting chords I've ever heard open a uh, open a song up. It actually, when I first heard it, it reminded me a little bit of the town theme from Diablo. And at the end of that song, segues into a trumpet solo of Summertime by George Gershwin that's played on a, like a solo trumpet as you hear the sounds of the city and people lost and kind of walking on their way home. And it's just so inventive and so different yeah. and so unlike anything else I'd ever heard. And at the same time, relatable and very, very listenable. Like you can listen to this again and follow different uh, instruments in your mind and find something new and find something fresh in every single song. It's one of those things where I think if you listen to that song and it didn't have that Gershwin piece, you would you'd probably feel this emptiness that it's missing. It's so much a part of a song now that you expect it. You'd, you'd be probably sad if it wasn't there. And then the song right after the grounds for divorce is this song with this momentum and this movement. And, you know, again, there to me, there's a little bit of a latent lament to the song, but it has motion. It is a rock song. Well, that is one of the, the album's kind of uh, big singles. Uh, and that was actually one of the most commercially successful songs from this album that there's a chance you at home might have seen because it was used in ads for things like uh, the video games Left for Dead and really? Colin McRae. I didn't Dome know that. Yeah, oh uh, in Driver San Francisco. It was used in ads for Burn After Reading, the movie, uh, Top Gear, the series, House Rescue Me, uh, In Plain Sight, and a whole bunch more. So it was like the commercial kind of success, along with One Day Like This that became mm. the, this big stadium rock 
experience of of elbow the one last thing i wanted to discuss about the like the production of the album before we go on to like the lyrics in a little more depth is the live version because this was actually my doorway into the album was a very particular song that someone actually shared on your facebook feed paul i believe you were you had a slow day at work or something and was like what songs give you like the oh, shivers up your back yeah. or somebody else had posted that and you responded with uh the loneliness of a tower crane driver but the bbc orchestra version not the one off the studio album yeah so there's a moment in that at what, three minutes and 42 seconds <laughs> three minutes and 42 <laughs> seconds to it now <laughs> but it is my most favorite piece of any part of um, of a song that I, I love like it's incredible its ability to traverse all of those emotions while sounding cohesive and while yeah. sounding whole that is really for me the standout achievement of this album I have literally decided tonight walking over here that I'm putting this album away because it's making me sad. I, I have to wait to play this album when I am feeling sad because I'm really too happy for this album right now. See, for me, it's it's not sadness. For me, it's about the world that he creates and the paintings he makes with his words and that the band makes with the music are so self-contained. His lyrics do this thing like good lyrics are like good poetry right there's not a lot of good poetry the small and the large are, are very much connected and his ability to evoke grand emotions with tiny details is really phenomenal no i'm listening and like i can't commiserate at all because i don't i haven't listened to i can barely tell you any of the lyrics to any of the songs it's horrible well and it's not i'm not all, saying it's a good thing at all it's like it's horrible it's not all sweeping romance and pensive navel gazing uh there are you know very much lighthearted moments in this album like the fix is a wonderful duet with richard hawley that is literally about two drunk grifters at a bar tr discussing their latest con The odds that I got were delicious. And then you've got like Weather to Fly, which is very much about feeling good and being in a good mood and just kind See, of coasting along. I know what songs you're talking about and I can sing them. I can sing them in my head, but I don't know what they're, what the message is. It's really weird. I'm not proud of myself right now. No, it's <laughs> fine. The last one I want to do is to circle back to the final song on the album. The lyrics there are, before leaving, get to the bar. No one round here makes you pay. Never very good at goodbyes. So gentle shoulder charge, love you, mate. Myself, as a man in Western society, is not necessarily always encouraged to speak very earnestly and very honestly about, like, emotions. I'm a cynical bastard, right? Moving continents several times in my life has given me a very cynical outlook on life at times. But that ability to condense grief and missing someone and longing into the moment of, like, clapping a hand on a shoulder at a bar and just saying love you mate and not being able to do that anymore is like a little bit touching another that makes me more curious about what the audience for elbow is i don't because i don't know who i've never gone to their concert sadly i know you've gone to them to see them live i did see them live over here i don't know what the demographics of their young and old across pretty much any barrier they saw them they were opened for like their opening act was john grant who uh is a wonderful queer 
gay hipster bear uh, from the States. And it was really like, especially the age um, diversity was incredible at their show. He's got a real ability to speak across boundaries and generations. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the kind of, kind of human nature of his, of his writing. Love you, man. From a Guardian interview that was published on October 31st in 2015, there's a quote from Guy Garvey that says, There's a vastness to elbow records, like a cinema effect to them, and in places, almost a regal thing. And there's another interview from Guy Garvey in thequietest.com. And I don't want to lay everything at the feet of Guy Garvey. This is very much like a band effort to get this album sounding this way. Um, but the quote from that interview was, from day one, that was the point to get albums out, to make records which left you somewhere different from where they found you. This is an album I can submerge myself on, that I can go on a journey across its landscape, no matter where I am in the world, no matter what I'm doing, no matter how stressed or how busy I might be, I can literally shut down, put this on, and turn inward and refind my center. I will say this, if you've never listened to this album before, you're in for a treat. If you're just listening to it, you might breeze across it all and just enjoy the experience of listening to it. It's only after deciding I wanted to talk about it in detail and going back and kind of pulling on these threads that I've really found some of the hooks and some of the reasons why I like this thing so damn much. Uh, there's whiffs and elements from all sorts of genres that spin and dive around like an emotional core that's made its home in my heart. Um, and it sat there across a continental divide from quiet snowy nights in Toronto to train rides across the EU to midnight flights at 30,000 feet. It's not a perfect album. Perfect art doesn't exist, but it's beautiful in its simplicity and in its complexity, in its quiet and in its loud, its declarations and its introspections, and more than anything else, it's human. And on gray days, like the one I had five years ago and 3,000 miles away, through the jet lag and the loneliness and the bad food and the crippling, crushing realization that you have to rebuild your entire life from the very first brick all over again, it's good to know that you're still human, that you can still daydream, that there's a future and a past for you, and if you play your cards right, the isolation that you feel is only ever temporary. So, did it hit you in the heart? Well, being the last one to come to this, it has hit me in the heart, and uh, I think it's going to do further damage. I think I have a ways to go in terms of appreciating it on the level that you guys are appreciating it. Even though I've been listening to the album since it came out, pretty much, I still I, I feel like I'm missing out on some of the art by not listening to the lyrics. Yeah, maybe listen to the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once more, I'm your bleeding hot millennial, Scott. I'm your hearty flyboy, Travis. I'm your kind-hearted oaf, Paul. And thank you very much for listening.
Thank you very much for listening to Hit Me in the Heart. You can listen to all the episodes on our website, hitmeintheheart.com, where you'll also find links to all of the other little bits of media that we've mentioned during the course of today's podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you want to support us, the very best thing you can do is leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. That really helps new people find our content and make sure we can keep talking about amazing and important pieces of culture far into the future. If you want to get in touch with us personally, you can do so at hitmeintheheartpodcast at gmail.com because we want to hear if this hits you in the heart. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's overblown, maybe you think there's another album that does it better. You never know, something you suggest might end up on a future episode of this podcast.